The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke from the 13th chapter. Jesus said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like, and to what should I compare it? It is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in the garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. The Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. Near the end of August, I gathered with many others at a rally and a march in downtown Tacoma that was led by members of the Puyallup Nation. We were there to express concerns about the liquefied natural gas plant that's being built adjacent to their tribal land and water. And the first representative of the Puyallup Nation who spoke shared his recent experience of spending five full days in the forest. And what it did for him, he said, was intensify his sense of unity with the trees and with the land and with the forest creatures and with all creation. He described it in a very spiritual way, not unlike that of people in many faith traditions who who marvel at the interconnectedness of all things. It reminded me of the creation story in Genesis 2 that we just heard. In those beginning verses, there is testimony to the deep truth that we ourselves are earth creatures fashioned out of the matter of the earth along with the trees that spring forth from the soil. In the end, the story says we are not only interrelated, but interdependent. Sadly, the last 200 years of history in the Pacific Northwest have been shaped by a very different understanding of human beings' relationship with trees. Unlike the native peoples who walked lightly on the earth and allowed forests to flourish, recent immigrants from all around the world, including many from my family and our families, have come and have mostly seen the trees as a commodity to exploit at will. One of the first history books that I read about this was one by Edwin Van Sickle called They Tried to Cut It All. The subtitle gets even more specific. He calls the last two centuries turbulent years of greed and greatness in this corner of the state. When I accepted a call to serve a Lutheran congregation on the Olympic Peninsula in 1992, I saw the injustice that this had created for all vulnerable species, including human beings. Without enough mature trees left to harvest and with the success of legislative acts put into place to protect endangered forest creatures, the unemployment rate in the county had risen to over 30% in that place that had been so dependent on logging. In an interdependent creation, the well-being of humans had been pitted against the well-being of trees and of the forest, and there were more losers than winners on both sides. In his book about the Olympic Peninsula called The Final Forest, William Dietrich describes the polarization that occurs often in circumstances like this. Wealthy environmental advocates in big cities do everything they can to save the trees. 
and impoverished people in rural communities do everything they can to save themselves from hunger and even homelessness. If we didn't know better, we would assume that it is all a zero-sum game where one side has to emerge as a winner and the other as a loser. But that goes against everything that we will remember and reclaim during this season of creation. What the Genesis story introduces is a theme of interdependence and interrelatedness in creation that flows through the whole Bible. The mustard tree in Jesus' parable doesn't exist for itself. When it grows big, its branches provide protection for nesting birds. Today we know that every breath we take, even at this moment, is dependent on the trees that are growing around the planet and that they are some of our best allies in efforts to halt the ravages of climate change. In the bigger picture, then, it's no wonder that trees take on a powerful symbolism in our sacred stories. But even in science, the tree has become one of the most important ways to talk about who we are together. In his 1859 book on the origin of species, Charles Darwin envisioned evolution like a, a great branching tree. The great tree of life, he called it, is filled with its dead and broken branches that crust the earth and, as Darwin says, the tree covers the surface with its ever-branching and beautiful ramifications. Ever since that time, biologists have sought to draw this tree of life. The invention of DNA sequencing revolutionized that project because scientists could find the relationship more clearly among species encoded in their genes. In the 1970s, Carl Weiss of the University of Illinois and his colleagues produced the first what they called universal tree of life based on this scientific approach. They presented this tree with three great trunks. Our own trunk, known as the eukaryotes, includes animals, plants, fungi, and protozoans. In recent years, Jillian Branford of the University of California at Berkeley and her colleagues have been gathering DNA from environments like the California forests and meadows and the deep sea vents. And they have been assembling the genomes of hundreds of new microbial species. And with this evidence, Dr. Banfield and her colleagues decided that it was time to draw a new tree of life in that way. They selected more than 3,000 different species to study, bringing together a representative sample of all of that diversity. And it took a supercomputer to put all of that in and follow it. And eventually, they found one tree best supported by all of the evidence. And it's a humbling thing to behold, even if you're not that familiar with science, as I am not. Because all of the eukaryotes, which we are a part of, from humans to flowers to amoeba, all of us fit on one little slender twig of that one branch of the great tree of life. As Dr. Barbara Rossing says, 
the tree of life reminds us that we humans are who we are thanks to a community of relationships in mystical communion with God, with one another, and with every living cell and creature throughout the universe's history. She goes on to say that the tree of life can also help us envision our future. Hope for the future, she says, plays a vital role in people's religious and spiritual life. When we can imagine our future, then we are able to move toward it with hope. Martin Luther is reputed to have said, if I knew the world would end tomorrow, I would plant a tree. It's very similar to a Jewish saying, if you have a sapling in your hand and they tell you that the Messiah has arrived, first plant the sapling, then go out to greet him. I'm not sure if our rally in March and public testimony in August may change the minds of powerful people, but as we formed a large prayer circle in the biggest intersection of Pacific Avenue, it did feel like we were planting a new tree together. And it helped me remember that I am who I am thanks to a community of relationships in mystical communion with God, with one another, and with every living cell and creature throughout the universe's history. Thanks be to God for that marvelous truth. Amen.